fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. How are we doing? Awesome. Good to see you here. It's the first snowfall. Yes. Yay. Dave is way too enthusiastic about that. But it does make it seem a little bit more Christmassy, right? So if it just falls a little bit, we'll be fine. I don't like that it's the weekend. It always snows on the weekend. But I'm glad that you guys are here today. And uh, actually, two weeks from this weekend uh, is C4. Two weeks from today, this is Saturday, South Campus, ignore me. But right now, two weeks from this moment is C4. And uh, so we are really, really excited about that. I want to take a minute to talk about Christmas and C4. Uh, I know that you've heard it announced a whole bunch of times, but I do want to kind of talk about some of the vision behind that and why we do some of the things that we do. Um, I'm really excited for C4 this year. And I always am, and there's a variety of reasons why, Uh, but one of the main reasons I'm excited is that because of the venue change to the Curry Center, we are actually all able to gather together under one roof as one family for the first time in many years. Uh, We've been in multiple campuses for over a year now. Uh, No, yeah, no, yes. We have been in multiple campuses for over a year. And uh, right now, kind of South Campus, shout out to you guys, are having church, and uh, that's awesome. And we've actually been in multiple services for many, many years. And so what that means is that you have a whole lot of people that attend your church that you don't see. There's a lot of people that attend your church that you have never met and that you don't know. And so I think it's just a very cool opportunity that we kind of get together and and gather this one time and to be able to worship as a family. We're one house, but we have lots of rooms. And so this is a chance for us to gather at one big house and uh, I'm really excited about that. It's, it's, it's an opportunity for us to be able to look around in the Curry Center and go, oh, this is my family. These are my people. This is awesome. And I think it'll be very exciting for us. I think it'll be uh, very unifying for us. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, now, above and beyond that, I'm excited about C4 because it's really a chance for us to proclaim Jesus to hundreds of people in our city who might not know him. Right? And so this is uh, our biggest outreach of the year and Christmas is our most invitable time of the year and and to have it at a public kind of familiar venue um, I think it makes it easier for people to attend it seems more like an event than a church service and some people have a weird thing about walking into a church and uh, and and I think there's just this feeling to it that it'll be a super easy thing to be able to invite your friends and your family and your neighbors to and, and have it be pretty risk-free. Yeah, you should come to this Christmas event we're having at the Curry Center. And so it's cool that it fits all of us together as a family, but if the whole point is that just our family get together, then we have missed the point. And so it's large enough to fit the whole church family three times over. And so what I'm saying is that there's all kinds of space for us to invite the city. And you should be doing that. Uh, we've got these postcards there at the Hello Desk. Um, if you want to grab a few of those, 
really easy kind of invitation to hand to someone, tell them to put it on their fridge, whatever. It's got the website on it with all the information. And so grab a few of these today. Think of some people that you want to give these to. And uh, I'm really looking forward to C4 this year. It's going to be a very, very fun event. Are you going to be there? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, now, because C4 is happening on a Saturday, that is obviously going to be our service for the weekend. There will not be church here on that Saturday night. Does that make sense? Don't come here on Saturday the 23rd for church. We're all going to be at the Curry Center for our Christmas service. And so we're actually making that our service for the whole weekend, right? Which again makes sense even just from a logistical standpoint. We couldn't actually probably do services here that Sunday because all of our people, all of our gear, all of our cords, all our instruments, it's all going to be at the Curry Center. So in order for us to actually pull church off here, we would have a whole bunch of people pulling an all-nighter and they would be too tired to even do church, right? So service for that weekend is on Saturday at the Curry Center. Good? Does that make sense? Okay. It's actually been our tradition these last few years to not have services after C4 uh, to give our huge amount of volunteers uh, a weekend off, especially after what's been an incredibly busy season and, and all the practice for C4. Uh, so we actually don't have to do that this year. We don't have to have a, a full Sabbath weekend. Everyone just has to show up on Saturday for C4. However, what I am asking you, if you are a Crosspoint family member, this is your church, uh, we are still hoping that you will give your tithes and your offerings that weekend like you would if church was here. We are not passing the buckets at the Curry Center. We do not take an offering at C4. We don't ever want to. Uh, but if you want to give uh, as you normally would, that would be really, really helpful. And uh, C4 is a bit of a financial kind of, not a risk, but we just do it knowing what it costs, but we believe that it's worth it. And so we are glad that you guys are able to help us out by giving before or after or online or however you can. Yes. Okay. Um, for the week after that, for the week after Christmas, all of our services are actually going to be on Sunday. Uh, Saturday night would actually end up being on New Year's Eve, and so we're just going to skip that altogether. It's not because all of your staff want to go out and party on New Year's Eve. Uh, it's just most of you probably will be going somewhere, and I'm going to guess church isn't on many people's destination for New Year's Eve. So we're going to have all of our services for that weekend on Sunday, both campuses, normal service times, the whole nine yards just don't come here uh, on New Year's Eve. I guess the easier way to say it is Christmas Eve weekend, church is all on a Saturday. New Year's Eve weekend, it's all on a Sunday. Could have just opened with that and saved us seven minutes. But now you know. Now you know. Uh, and so everything will be back to normal January 6th and 7th. Uh, we're going to be kicking off a new series on that weekend that I'm really excited about on the book of Ecclesiastes. Which if you've read that book, you're probably a little confused right now, actually. Or maybe a little excited. Everything is meaningless. Everything. Meaningless. We're going to talk about that and what that means. A great way to kick off the new year by talking about the big questions that people are asking. What is life about? Does it matter? Is everything meaningless? What's the point? Uh, great, invitable series to bring people who are kind of wrestling with God. Um, even though that sounds funny, uh, that book really opens up a lot of wonderful questions and discussion. And so hoping that you guys will be here for that. Okay, are you still with me? I know that was like boring announcement time with Pastor Mark. Okay, thank you. Applause for announcement time. Woo! All right, let's talk about Christmas. Uh, we kicked off our Christmas series last week, calling it trepidation. 
And, and we learned that that word really meant having a, a certain amount of fear and uncertainty about the future. It's this feeling of kind of dread and apprehension that you've got with you that says, I, I feel like something bad is going to happen. I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid of what is coming next, which is fitting for the world that we live in and the news cycle that we keep watching. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we wonder week to week, what's it going to be this time? But Christmas flies in the face of trepidation. And the most repeated line in the Christmas story we learned was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's something about Jesus that, that for us should still matter to this day in the sense that we don't have to live with fear. We don't need to be afraid about tomorrow. And it's not even that, that, that Jesus eliminates our fear. He replaces it. He replaces it with hope and peace and joy. This is what we get instead of fear. And so that's what we've been talking about. And so today our Christmas story starts at Fredericton Honda. Of course, as you would expect. Uh, our car had to go in for inspection a couple of weeks ago. It failed, of course. All cars fail inspection the first time. I think it's a giant conspiracy. Don't, don't tell me any differently. It's all a scam. My car failed inspection. It's a brand new car. Insane. However, what they did, Honda, was call me up to tell me that it failed inspection. Uh, but I was in a meeting, so they left a voicemail. Now, my phone all of a sudden started doing this super fun thing where it actually tries to transcribe what your voicemail was so that you don't actually have to listen to someone talk. Who wants to hear people talk when you can read it in front of you? And so that's what it did. And I had to screenshot this one because it was the best, and I love it. So here is my voicemail from Honda, Fredericton. Transcription. Now, they do warn me, low confidence. They don't have a lot of confidence in this. Uh, Brenda calling from somewhere. Mark, uh, just to let you know, your vehicle does need rear brake pads uh, to tell, uh, we want to do construction. But we're down for a nap. So we need to replace some brakes. They're a little rested. They should be, because they were down for a nap. Uh, they should be okay. The pads are only going to cost about $5,888. They are recommending filters, because they're a dirty something. Um, all in all, it's going to require about 40,000 plumbers. 188. You can let me know. 5 to 55. Thanks. I love the little thing at the bottom. Was this transcription helpful or not? It was, and I love it, and I hope it never changes. I hope they never improve the technology, because I think it's fantastic. Have you ever gotten a message from someone that got lost in translation? Has someone ever said anything to you and you heard it like this, but they actually meant it like this? Or maybe you've gotten a text from someone and autocorrect had its way and they never proofread it and you get this text and you're like, what is this? Did you mean to send me this? And did, did you pocket dial me or what, what happened? And, and you get this message and it's so weird and crazy that you're like, there, there's got to kind of be a meaning behind this, right? There's, there's got to be a reason. That's what we always think when we get kind of a crazy, funny, off-base message. But what do you do when you receive a message that sounds absolutely insane and impossible and implausible, but it turns out to be 100% the truth? What do you do when God gives you a message that's impossible? What do you do when God gives you a message and, and he says, I want you to do this or go there or say that. I've got a choice that I need you to make. I've got a thing that I need you to do. And it sounds so crazy and so bonkers that your, your only response is really, <laughs> there's, no, there's no way. 
But what do you do when he's not joking? What do you do when, when he has not accidentally used autocorrect? And he really means it. Have you ever been there? There is a story of a lovely, a lovely young couple in the Bible named Mary and Joseph. Perhaps you have heard of them. And God has a message for them that is just like that. And so we're going to talk about them today. A message that they received that sounds literally unbelievable, but is actually from God for them. So we start in Matthew chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles with you, verse 18. It said, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His brother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk there just for a second, because we just read that, no one batted an eye, because it's the Christmas story, and you've heard it 10,000 times before. So let's pretend like we've never heard it, and let's read that again with fresh ears and fresh eyes. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sure she did. Happens all the time. Right? Isn't, that's a little bit crazy, isn't it? That's a lot bit crazy. Imagine being Mary and getting that message. Listen, you're going to have a baby. I know you're not married, and I know you're still a virgin. You're still going to be pregnant. Don't worry, though. It won't be from some guy. Is that better or worse? I don't know. It's, it's not actually going to be from a human. See, there's this spirit who has power. Now, that's a crazy message. Uh, you've you've got to think that her first response was, what? Are you serious? Is this, is this even happening right now? What do you get when you get that message from God? And the angel kind of reiterates it, like, no, I'm, I'm serious. You're going to get pregnant through the power of the Spirit. Interesting. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom we sh she was engaged, was a righteous man, and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So Mary and Joseph, are, they're, they're what we call betrothed, and that was kind of an official term back in the day, and it was an actual event that usually lasted for about a year, high level of commitment, they basically treated it like marriage. It was a chance for the engaged couple to get to know one another, <laughs> which sounds funny, but chances are their marriage was arranged before they ever met each other. Oftentimes married couples uh, get, get to meet one another for the first time upon hearing about their impending engagement. Uh, usually the families picked these people years ago to get married. It was a family decision. It had benefits for them in, in a variety of different ways, which I know sounds a little interesting, but sometimes it wasn't even the parents who picked. They, they actually had professional matchmakers. I'm not even joking. That sounds like a TLC show, right? Like this week on First Century Matchmakers, Bartimaeus and Martha go out on their first date. Like it's, it's a weird thing. It actually happened back then. And so for however reason, Mary and Joseph, um, they're engaged to be married, but they are currently betrothed. And, and, and here's why they did it. I think it's fantastic. They thought marriage was far too serious of a step to make to just leave it up to emotions and feelings. Isn't that great? We can't let you decide who you're going to marry because of your emotions. It's way too serious for that. I know that sounds crazy to us. Some parents are totally on board with that. Dad, meet my new boyfriend. Oh, that's cute, dear. We've already picked your spouse. Right? But that's, that's kind of how it went. 
And so to break off an engagement was actually a huge deal because it wasn't just between a guy and a girl and they fell in love, but it was about two families, year-long commitments going back for who knows how long, for how many reasons. And, and so it was hugely important that you didn't just break off an engagement. It wasn't something that you did casually, kind of like maybe what would happen now. People would be like, oh, that's too bad. That'd be the extent of it. Back then, the punishment uh, for Mary could have been death, which sounds a little extreme, but that's what first century life was like, especially for women. Um, unfortunately, uh, it was not a very good place to live if you were a woman or a very good time in the world to live if you were a woman. And she would have been the one that took the fall for that. Uh, they would have considered her the promiscuous one. She was the one that would have committed the adultery. She was the one that would have kind of, you know, hey, no, sorry, you, you did this and it was punishable by death. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, then maybe you remember the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. She's dragged out into the street naked. Everyone picks up rocks. They're ready to end her life. We don't ever hear anything about the guy, do we? You don't know who the guy was. The guy never gets named. The guy doesn't have stones thrown at him, right? So it was kind of a, a horrific time in the world, uh, which is a kind of a fascinating part of the New Testament, was the way that Jesus came along and empowered women and gave them value that was lacking, which was pretty neat. That's a sermon for another day. Uh, so, all that to say is that Joseph actually deserves a pretty significant shout-out for wanting to do this quietly. Because what he's trying to do is, is help Mary avoid disaster. He's, he's trying to help her avoid some kind of huge kerfluffle, or, or at worst, even death. And, and so he's just like, no, let's do this quietly, let's break this off. And the Bible goes on, of course, with different plans. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream... Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid, there's our line, to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Again, we've heard it a thousand times, so some of the power gets lost on us. Imagine hearing that for the first time. Now, it's only about 50 words from an angel, but there's a lot in those 50 words. Uh, for one thing, he actually has it confirmed that his fiance has been magically made pregnant by a spirit. So we already know that that conversation has happened between Mary and Joseph. That is unfortunately not a conversation that we get in the Bible. I wish that it was. Can you imagine that conversation? Mary has to sit down with Joseph and say, listen, I'm pregnant. Don't worry. It's not anyone you know. <laughs> like what? How does he respond to that? What does that conversation sound like? What, what does he think about all of that? I mean, that, that's a pretty crazy thing to take in. But at the end of the day, he's kind of getting some confirmation now. Oh, she might have been actually telling the truth. She might have not been lying to me all along. But then he gets part two of that message that this just isn't any kid that you're going to have. His name is going to be Jesus and he is going to save the world from their sins. That's a pretty significant thing to be told. I mean, we all have big dreams for our kids, right? You want, you want your kid to grow up and do something great? You know, and, and you add, hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you're, I'm going to be a firefighter in our house. I'm going to be Taylor Swift or whatever, right? That position is taken. I'm sorry. But whatever that is, Joseph actually is told in advance, we know what your kid's going to be when he grows up. It's the savior of the world. All right. That's a lot to take in for a dad. Uh, that's a lot to take in, in a as a parent. 
And it says that it happened in a dream. So he woke up from that. And what's the first thing you do when you wake up from a crazy dream? First thing you're like, was that? Was that real? Have you ever woken up from a dream and you're like, did I kill someone last night? Right? And you find out, no, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> that was a close one. Feeling some good relief, right? Like you've had dreams that were so real that you woke up and you're like, whoa, she's probably doing that. He's probably waking up like, no, no, no. There's no way, but, but his dreams lining up perfectly with what Mary was told. And there's really no other explanation for all of the crazy things that are happening right now. Have you ever received a message from God that was so impossible and improbable and unbelievable? What did you do about it? What do we do when that happens? Mary and Joseph definitely had that experience, and I think that we can learn a lot from their response. The story goes on to say in verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife. He did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I love that line. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Even though it sounded crazy, even though it sounded impossible and has no explanation, even though he probably had millions of questions, he obeys. He does what the Lord commanded. Now, I know that this story, if you were here last week, is really similar. An angel shows up, tells a couple that they're going to have a baby, but this is actually the exact opposite um, what we're going to talk about from last week. See, last week was Elizabeth and Zachariah, and they get, a, a, you know, eventually a message from God. But the whole point of that story was, what do you do when God isn't speaking to you? What do you do when God is absent? What do you do when you pray and you don't get an answer? What, what do you do when years go by and you're just wondering, is he even there? This week, what we're talking about is what do you do when God shows up undeniably and loudly says, this is exactly what I want you to do. Because there's some trepidation in wondering, where is God? But there's also some trepidation in knowing exactly what he wants you to do, and it's scary. And I'm sure that you've all been there at some point in your life, when God had this new call on your life, this thing that he wanted you to do, and you were like, not, not so sure about that. I wasn't praying for this. I wasn't looking for this. I was praying for lots of things, but this wasn't not. I'm sure Mary and Joseph felt that. Do we have to be the ones? Is there a particular reason why you chose us? Could we not do this? It'd be easier if we could not do this. We would avoid a lot of scandal. We'd avoid a lot of questions. I'm going to have to explain this to every person I see for the rest of my life. This sounds pretty important. Could you maybe someone else? Is there any way that someone else could do this big, important, crazy task? But what scripture tells us is that Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded. We actually find out in scripture that Mary also had a great response. Uh, she did not have a choice, <laughs> unfortunately. That was not her decision to make. It wasn't, do you want to be God's mom? Check yes or no. It was more or less, you're going to be God's mom. Uh, but she does something that I believe is just as important. And we have to go back to last week's scripture. It's a, a continuation of Elizabeth's story. This is Luke chapter one, verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. 
At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a, a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. And she says, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. She believed. I mean, she got one of the most, quite possibly the most, unbelievable, inexplicable, impossible messages from God. And her response is, she believed. She believed. She took him at his word. She said, oh, okay, let's do this. We don't hear anything else about Mary or her character or her questioning or anything other than she believed in that moment before her child is even born. And there's something in that for us today that I think when God comes to you with a, with a calling or a decision or a challenge or a choice, I think the absolute best thing that we can do is to believe and then obey. God is looking for our belief and then our obedience. Which sounds simple enough, but that'll give you some trepidation. That'll, that'll put some fear into you a little bit. It's the trepidation of knowing exactly what he's asking you to, to do and what it's going to cost you and how hard it might be and not knowing all of the ways that it is going to unfold. And, and really what he's waiting for you to say is, one, is, okay, I believe you. And two, I'll go. Or I will obey. Whatever it is you want me to do. Have you ever been there? And God says, I've got a thing that I really need you to do. I need you to have a conversation with someone. And, and I, I need you to go somewhere. I need you to change jobs. I need you to uproot your family. I need you to give something away. I need you to, to go here and do that. Whatever the thing is, and your first thought is, <laughs> no. I, I can't. I won't. I don't. I've never. Whatever. And then the second thing that I found we do in these scenarios is that we try and talk ourselves out of it. We, we try and talk ourselves out of the fact, well, that wasn't really God. I mean, that could have been anything, could have been, I had Taco Bell last night, I dream, when I eat Taco Bell and go to bed, I have the craziest dreams, right? There's this one about an angel telling me to do that, we, we talk ourselves out of it, there's no way, there's no way. And I think the two biggest things that we need to bring to the table are our believability and our obedience. I say, okay, God, I believe you, and I'll go. And that's hard. I've been there. I'm sure that many of you have been there. I've been there multiple times in my life. I was never going to be a lead pastor. I was never going to live in the Maritimes. I was going to be a youth pastor forever in Hawaii. <laughs> God and I had talked many times about it. it if not Hawaii, at least somewhere without snow. <laughs> Here we are. God, I will never. I can't. I won't. Pretty sure Pastor Dave thought he was going to live in Holton forever. That's where home had been forever. He had been a youth pastor for all of those years. He wasn't going to do anything different. I mean, they had settled down. Their kids had moved out. It was a done deal. And here he is, leading our church into uncharted territory when it comes to local missions and global missions, leading more trips than we've ever gone on. We, we had $70,000 for those houses. Did you guys know that? We, we can build two houses. It wasn't zero, zero, zero dollars. 
right? But that, that's Dave and, and his local outreach and the way that he's bridging the gap between our city and our church. And he, he's here doing that, even though he probably never fathomed in his life that he would be anywhere than where he was for decades and decades and decades. Pastor Jamie was selling ball bearings in Moncton six years ago. Pretty sure he never fathomed that he would move to Fredericton one day and be a pastor at a church that he had never heard of in his life. I'm sure he had big dreams. Most of them probably involved moving to Nashville at some point. He's now two weeks away from leading us in the largest church service we've ever had. That's pretty cool. I know I mentioned this a week or two ago, but Pastor Matt was never going to be a kid's pastor. Pretty sure he was a theology major major, uh, with some pretty crazy musical skills, which is a fun combination. And he is our first ever full-time kids pastor. We actually averaged over 100 kids every week for the month of November, which is crazy. We've never been there. We've never done that. And all of those circumstances required those people believing that God was in this, calling them to it, but not just believing it, going, okay, I will uproot my family. I I, I will go somewhere new. I will live with strangers and figure this out. I've never done it. Let's give it a shot. It took believability and obedience. And if they don't believe and obey, then what do we look like? How are we different? I mean, what happens here? We wouldn't have jingle jammed last night. We certainly wouldn't be pulling off events as large as C4 without Jamie. We wouldn't be the church that we are if the people that were here um, weren't obedient to God's calling and doing what it was they were supposed to do. Do you know who was playing guitar here before Jamie showed up? Me. And it was rough, family. It was rough. It was actually, too, it was John Sherwood. You know what it's like to be one of two guitar players and John Sherwood is the other one? Not great. Doesn't feel good. I haven't played since. That's a true story. They believed and they obeyed and they stepped out. And I believe, and this is me saying it, I believe that they're experiencing God's best for their life because they're in the center of his will. But because of that, we all experience what is best for us because of them. Right? It looks like it's supposed to look here because of their obedience, which is a great reminder that your decisions don't just affect you. Your decisions don't just affect you. Your obedience to God affects all of the people around you. And so does your disobedience. That's hard, that's hard to talk about sometimes. But see, when God is calling you to a new place, a new calling, a new vision, a new choice, whatever it is he is asking you to do, it is an invitation to what is best for your life, but also what's best for all of the people in your life. And don't you want what's best, not just for you, but for the people around you? We get that when we live in obedience. And and your blessing often becomes other people's blessing because you walk in obedience to what God wants. This is all through scripture. God calls Moses to be the one to lead his people out of slavery. So the one guy obeys, but an entire nation goes free. Jesus told the disciples, why don't you take these two fish and a loaf of bread and hand them out? to a whole bunch of people. And so 12 guys' obedience turned out to be a meal for 5,000 people. Mary and Joseph walk in obedience and and they hear God's word and they're like, okay, well, we're going to do this. They end up being the parent to the savior of all mankind. Your obedience is not just a blessing for you, but for all of the people around you. And so whatever God is asking you to do, it's not just for your benefit. 
It's for the benefit of the entire kingdom. It's the, the benefit for all of us. He's inviting us to participate in the blessing of other people. He's inviting us to participate in the transformation of the world. That's pretty, that's pretty incredible. He's asking us to partner with him in supernatural decisions that changes people's lives. That's what happens every time you walk in obedience to what God is asking you to do. He is the one who will show up and do the work. But we are the ones that need to choose to obey him. It's that middle ground between hearing him and following him that it gets hard. It's that middle ground of, okay, I think I hear you. Mm, what is this going to cost? That's when we start playing the what ifs, right? Well, what if I take this job and I hate it? What if I move across the country and my family's miserable? What if we make this decision and there's financial repercussions? What if I have that conversation and it damages the relationship? What if I go out on this limb and everything? Like, I, just, I don't know. It's too risky, God. It's too risky. No, no, no. The scarier question is, what if I don't do what God wants me to do? That's the question that should give us far more trepidation. What does it look like if I disbelieve and disobey. What's going to happen then? You know, what if there are people in the world, your neighborhood, your workplace, that the only way they're ever going to hear about Jesus is if you tell them and you don't? Like, ooh. Right? Well, what if there's someone's life that would be changed at C4, but they're waiting on an invitation from you? It's in your hands. It's up to you. Now, what's going to happen if we obey or what's going to happen if we don't? There's a lot riding on the things that God is asking us to do. And the bottom line is that he is asking us to participate with him in the transformation of the world and what a blessing and what an honor it is. I mean, he taught us to pray, may your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we live in God's will, when we do the things he's asking us, when we walk in obedience, it's like bringing heaven to earth. It's the kingdom of God here now at hand, looking like it's supposed to, working like it's supposed to. That's how the world sees Jesus when we walk in obedience, when we do the things that he wants when we believe him at his word and we obey him. So I don't know what specific thing it is that God is asking you to do. If, if you're in that kind of boat tonight and he's asking you to do something that's big or frightening or challenging or different or scary or whatever that thing is, but know that if he's inviting you to be a part of it, he will give you everything you need to accomplish it. He doesn't just call you to something and leave you there and wish you well. He was the one who really uh, freed a whole nation from slavery. Moses couldn't turn water to blood. Moses just had to obey. He was the one who multiplied fish and bread. The disciples couldn't do that. They just had to hand it out. Mary and Joseph were not responsible for saving all mankind. They could not preach the sermons, raise the dead, heal the blind, get crucified on a cross, and then perform a resurrection. All they had to do was raise a baby. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who does the heavy lifting. So if the fear that in your heart is there because, well, what's going to happen, God? What's going to happen? What, what is it? He's going to do it. He's just looking for you to say, okay, I believe you, and I'll obey. Whatever it is you're asking me to do, wherever you're asking me to go, whatever this looks like, I'm trusting that you're with me and that you're actually the one that's going to do the work. It might be a simple thing at first glance. I mean, raising a baby, and lots of people have done that, but who knows what God will accomplish through your obedience.
Who knew that God could transform a couple of fish into into 5,000 meals? Who knows what will happen when you step out in obedience? It might not make sense to you today, but it will later when you see the way that God used it. We need to remember that line from Christmas. Don't be afraid. If he's calling you to do the impossible, it's because he can do the impossible. If he's calling for, for you to do something that doesn't make sense, it makes absolute perfect sense in his timing, which we're not privy to all the time. And so you can go where he asks, you can say what he wants, and you can walk in obedience, and God will use that to do some incredible things in your life. It's not always big, miraculous, life-changing things. It might just be the, the kind of the mundane, daily, I choose to follow you, I choose to obey, I'll go here, say that, invite someone, whatever it is. But you will never experience what's best for your life until you choose to believe him and obey him. And so I want to pray for us tonight, and... Uh, the band is going to come and they're going to sing. And maybe tonight, if you need to come up to the altar, um, come up to the front, wherever you need to pray, that it's always open. That's always an invitation. And maybe you're kind of wrestling with something right now that God is calling you to do, asking you to do. And it's heavy, it's complicated, it's scary, whatever that is. Uh, we want to pray for you tonight uh, and for that and with that. Maybe the thing that you've been most afraid of is following Jesus to begin with. And we want to pray for that as well. And so I'm just going to get you guys to bow your heads. And I want to pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful that you are a big God and a good God. Uh, sometimes that doesn't mean that you're a God who explains everything super well to us. And you ask us to do crazy things before giving us the reasons why or without explaining how it's all going to work out in great detail. That's what we would like, but you don't usually work that way. And so what we have to ask for in the meantime, then, is the strength to obey. That we would trust you, that we would obey you, that we would believe that what you're asking us to do is what's best for us, for the people around us, for the kingdom. That if you're asking us to do it, it's what's best for our family. And so, God, I pray away the fear that are in people's lives right now who are wrestling with these things. And I know and believe that there are people that are, that are wrestling with certain things right now that you are asking them to do. And they are afraid to take the next step forward. And I pray right now in your name, Jesus, that you would give them strength, that, that you would give them hope and an unbelievable sense of peace, that you've got this, that you're guiding them, that you're working in their lives and that you're going to work it out. God, I know that your people long to be obedient. Sometimes it's hard. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom and we ask for your strength. I pray it for all of the people in this room right now. In the name of Jesus, amen.